And so we are continuing uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and now we're going to get into some hard verses, some pretty hard verses. You thought some of the verses before were hard? It gets harder because Jesus is now going to drill down on what he expects of Christian character. How are we to live? What are the expectations of us from God? as children of God. And Jesus is going to pointedly uh, reference the fact that the key problem that we have is self. It's self, pride of self, our own personal arrogance, our own desire to go our own way, uh, and to be cognizant of our rights, our rights, our rights. How are we treated? And Jesus is going to tell us that as far as he's concerned, as children in the kingdom of God, we put aside our rights. We don't become concerned about our rights because, in fact, Jesus wants us to represent the gospel in every way. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile with him, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Amen. Uh, These are hard verses. These are hard verses. Uh, And so in studying these verses and in studying the word of God, the first thing that you have to understand is that you need to have common sense. Everything that Jesus says has to make sense. It has to be possible to do. He doesn't instruct us to do impossible things. Uh, And so he is delivering here the conduct of Christians, not the conduct of the world, Uh, This is not a code of ethics and not a rule of conduct uh, that's to be given to people in the world. They could not ever live like this. This is to be given to Christians who have given their hearts to Christ uh, and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so that's how you have to begin to interpret these words. How does God want us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God? And Jesus here is referring again, to the misinterpretation of Scripture uh, by the Pharisees, who had pretty much done that all the time. And if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 21, verse 24, and you're going to see where they got this from, Uh, and this was the law of Israel. Uh, But verse 23, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Wow, pretty clear. But here's the thing. This was given to institutional Israel. This is not given to individuals. No individuals under this law was given the right to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Rather, that was for the judges who were in charge of institutional Israel. This was the code of the law that they were expected to follow. And so God had become very concerned 
about the natural tendency of man to strike back in violence. And you know that that's how we all are. I don't care who you are. That if somebody hurts you or somebody does something evil to you, no, what's the general tendency? Boom. I want to strike back. I want to hurt you. I want you to punish you for what you've done to me. And so this becomes important to understand. The whole culture was one of revenge and retaliation. And so Jesus uh, is changing the entire culture as God really tried to do with that by giving that instruction to the judges. But the Pharisees uh, misinterpreted it. They took it and applied it to individual people. And so this becomes a critical understanding of how God wants us to live. And so understanding that it was not meant, never meant for individual consumption, never meant to govern how we are to live individually, but that it was to be governed by the, by the country of Israel. And so they misapplied the law. They ignored the, uh, the very nature of the law. They ignored the spirit of the law uh, and misapplied it and made a major error, a major error that the Lord would correct, which he has done, as you can see, throughout this entire sermon. And so Jesus would tell his disciples that they were not to resist evil. Now, this is a hard thing to understand, uh, and he will do it in, in various ways in context and understand it. And this has become a very much misunderstood passage. And so we have to look at the entire context of what Jesus says here, understanding the nature of what he says and the, and the spirit of what he's saying in order to understand this. You know, that there were people, uh, specifically the author Tolstoy, who took this uh, section, not resisting evil, and said that Jesus wanted us to become pacifists. Well, that's wrong. You see, Jesus now is speaking to the individual Christian. In his individual capacity, he's not talking about the Christian in his capacity as a citizen of a country, uh, but rather in an individual capacity as he speaks and he walks in the kingdom of God and, and he will represent the kingdom of God. And so let's understand this, make it very clear that you can describe this to other people. The Sermon on the Mount was never meant as a code of ethics or a set of rules to cover our conduct. The last thing Jesus would do would be to become legalistic and say, this is exactly how I expect you to live. These are the rules you have to live by. No, the question is, what is the spirit of what Jesus is talking about? What is the spirit that is to conduct our lives? Secondly, these teachings are never to be applied mechanically. Uh, and let's understand that. This is not a mechanical expectation of how we are to live. Thirdly, if the interpretation that you come to in the Sermon on the Mount makes the teaching seem ridiculous, then it's wrong. It's patently wrong. And so what we want to do is we want to wrap up the words of Jesus, stand back contextually and see how it's delivered, see what the times were that he was talking about, and see how it harmonizes Scripture with Scripture because scripture must be harmonized. Let's understand that. You don't take one scripture which repudiates others. Uh, and so if the, if the sermon that Jesus delivers, delivers is impossible to execute, then your interpretation of it is wrong. This Jesus is giving us for everyday life. This is how we all are to walk in the kingdom of God. 
And so some misguided people, really, and it's true, have used this passage to insist that the Lord did not want us to have soldiers or did not want us to have police or did not want us to even have judges. This is far removed from, from reality. God here is not speaking about the role of the Christian to the government, the role of the Christian to the king, but rather the interpersonal relationships on a daily level of how we are to live. Uh, and so this becomes important for you to understand this. And if you have any question about what the role of the Christian is, uh, how the Christian is to act vis-a-vis -vis the government, well, I would point your attention to Romans chapter 7. Take a look at that. Uh, and uh, Excuse me, Romans chapter 13. This, this uh, statement there, Romans 13, if you have a question about that. And you can also look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Both those uh, areas of Scripture will detail to you specifically how we as Christians relate to government. And if I were to summarize it in a simple way, I would say this, that we as Christians are generally to submit to the role of government until the government uh, interferes with our religious practices. So until the government re interferes with our religious uh, uh, practices, we are to follow with the government. Jesus made that clear, give unto Rome that which is Rome. We are not to become revolutionaries. That's, what we're, that's not the role that we have. But even when we pay our taxes, even as we adhere to laws that we may not agree with. But if there comes a time when the government then interferes with our religious practices, then, then that's a different thing. That's when we oppose the government and we stand up for it. And so here Jesus has described the people of the kingdom of God as being poor in spirit. And let's, let's understand this point here. This message, this sermon is for those people who are poor in spirit, who are mourning their spiritual condition, who are merciful, uh, who are meek, who have the spirit of God within them. These per particular injunctions are meant for them because you can't live like this unless the spirit of God is embedded within your heart. You won't be able to do this. And so you need to understand this. Uh, and so this is the whole crux of this teaching. Jesus is trying to inspire us to look at the spirit of, the God, of God and how we are to live as Christians. Uh, and so we have to put our personal reactions aside. We have to put aside our, our depth and need for justice. We have to put aside our, our need for revenge or retaliation as it relates to the kingdom of God. Even though all those things are difficult, Jesus is instructing us to do this. And so it's important for you to understand this. Now, the third principle which controls the interpretation of this subject is that it is not about capital punishment. That's another misinterpretation. I've heard people say, well, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount indicated he was opposed to capital punishment or killing in times of war. No, no, there's nothing here about that. This is about Jesus instructing individual Christians filled with the Spirit of God who follow with the Beatitudes, who are mourning their spiritual condition, who are meek and seeking righteousness, telling them, imposing upon them God's will as to how they are to act. So don't use this as a means of saying we can't have soldiers, we can't have police, uh, capital punishment is out, 
in times of war, we can't fight uh, in a time of war. Nothing here is governing that uh, indication. The Lord really is considering the Christian's personal reaction to the things that happen to him in everyday life. To make this passage ring of pacifism, frankly, uh, is to treat it legalistically. Do not treat this legalistically. I'm warning you. This is not what God wanted you to do. God is focusing on the spiritual aspect of this. So what then, really, is clearly taught here? Well, there is really one overarching principle, and that is man's attitude toward himself. Perhaps the key to understanding this entire passage is to look at verse 42. And there it says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, when you read that verse, you probably wonder, well, why did he put it in this section? Why did Jesus link this with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, the theme of this section is about resisting evil, all right? If someone smites you on the right cheek, Jesus tells you, turn the other cheek. Uh, Also, whoever compels you to go a mile uh, with him, you go with him two miles. Now, that really was a section uh, of the sermon that applied to the Roman army. It was meant to be interpreted by uh, uh, people who had occupied a territory. The Jews were dealing with occupiers who had forced them to to follow their uh, lead. And so it was not unusual for a member of the Roman army to come and take some citizen and say, carry this, follow me, and carry it, and, and like, make you take it a mile out of your way. And so the average person would grumble. Who wouldn't grumble? Some soldier is enforcing me to do something or go someplace that I didn't want to do, and Jesus is saying, no, you go. And not only do you go, you go two miles, meaning you show that there's something different about you. You see, this is all about preaching the gospel of Christ in your life. Uh, And so why is God combining these issues of giving to those in need uh, and to those who ask when the subject, the main subject, is about resisting evil? Well, clearly, Jesus' attitude here uh, is about the question of self, self, uh, and our attitude towards ourselves. He is saying, in effect, that if we want to be truly Christian, if we want to be truly followers of him, we must become dead to self. There is no more arrogance. There is no more self-righteousness or or narcissism. We put that all away. And so it is a question of what I think about myself and my attitude towards myself. This is the central message uh, that God is giving us today. This is a highly spiritual teaching, and it's designed to work in this way. First, I must be right in my attitude towards myself and the spirit of self-defense that rises immediately when wrong. You understand that. Immediately when you're wrong, the initial response is to defend yourselves, Uh, whether it's a physical blow Uh, or an emotional blow. And I want to say this about this. Uh, If somebody uh, comes upon you as a miscreant and beats you up, Jesus isn't saying here, you can't interpret this to say just go into a ball 
and take the blows. That's, that's, I mean, that, was not, that wouldn't make sense that Christ would ask you to do that. But in, in the aspect of warding off those attacks, we don't want to go into a retaliation. You understand the difference? In other words, we defend ourselves, we put off the attack, but then we don't get a bat and say, now it's my turn at bat, you know? We don't do that. Even though we may want to do that, we don't do that, all right? That's the difference between us and the world. Uh, and so I must deal with the desire for revenge. And for us, really, the, probably the more applicable aspect of this is slander and gossip. People that have said terrible things about you. Think people that have lied about you. Uh, and, and how do you handle that? How do you handle that? Well, Jesus is telling you, don't seek revenge. You don't have a need to defend yourself. Uh, and this is really relevant to those of us that walk in the kingdom of God filled with the Holy Spirit as I look here out in this congregation, this entire congregation. And so also then becomes the attitude toward my possessions. That's why he's talking about this. What is my attitude towards my possessions? Is it all about my stuff? This is all my stuff, and I don't want anybody to take my stuff away from me. Again, this reveals the aspect of self again. And so the Pharisee had grossly misinterpreted the law, uh, and Jesus instructs us that the law really is a matter of the spirit of the law, and our whole attitude about ourselves. What, that's what Jesus wants us to look at. What is the attitude about yourselves? How are you weighing the very law and the spirit of the law as it relates uh, to yourself? In effect, Jesus is telling us that in order to become his true disciples, we have to be dead to self. Dead to self. It's no more about self. It's no, about, no more about your interests. It's about his interests. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to act? In, a, in every possible way, Lord, speak into my life. I want to be your disciple. I want to carry the gospel. Where do I go, Lord, in order to tell people about you? How do I do it? And so this becomes important. And so Jesus says, in order for you to do that, in order to, for you to be my disciple, you have to give up some of your natural rights. Because you're not a natural man anymore, a natural woman. You're a child of God. And so he's covering you and protecting you. And so instead of insisting upon your rights, instead of insisting upon them, we are to yield them up to God, uh, particularly in regard to retaliation. I think that's really the essence of this, retaliation, uh, because that's, that's the embedded need of human beings. That, that I've been hurt, and now I'm going to hurt you back, all right? I'm going to hurt you back. And God is saying to us, no, we don't do that here. That's not how we live as Christians, not in any way. And, that, and the reason for that is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be blocked. Think about it. Think about how people who know you and know who you are and know that you're Christians, know that you profess to be Christians, and yet they see you retaliating in the way that the world would retaliate. Do you think you're advancing the cause of Christ? Or do you think instead all they'll say is he's just like everybody else? There's nothing different about him or her. He may profess a good game, but he's not walking. Look at him. Look at what he did. Yes, he was wrong, but look at the nature of retaliation. Look at the nature of revenge. 
And that's the point of this. Christ does not want us to live like this. And so we don't ever want to hinder the gospel of Christ in any way. We don't ever want to hinder the teaching of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so because of that, we shall be abused and persecuted from time to time, but we shall not fight back. And I know there's many of you in this congregation that have experienced that and that you've honored God in that way. Uh, And I want to take your attention to Romans 12, uh, verses 19 to 21, uh, where Paul speaks on this issue very clearly. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What an amazing set of verses that is. All right? That's, that's the Christian character. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the Apostle Paul has written about there. Now, these are all complex principles that Jesus has given us. And so we need to look at them and harmonize them with Scripture. And this is the only way that we cannot distort the teaching of Jesus. And I'm going to try to do this. Uh, And so Jesus cannot possibly be thinking of eliminating soldiers or the police or judges. Instead, Jesus is speaking about personal abuse, uh, personal abuse, personal self-sacrifice, personal retaliation, as it relates to his disciples. Now, the four examples that he gives us Uh, in this scripture, bear this out. And I'm going to drill down on this and hopefully make a point of it. The first concerns a sharp backhand slap to the cheek. Uh, That's what that meant. A gross insult. You've been insulted grossly uh, by someone. Uh, This can relate to deep personal insults. And I know many of you here in this congregation have suffered that. The Christian is to be prepared to take another insult rather than retaliate. We don't retaliate. We don't get up and say, you know, I'm going to put a a statement about you in the newspaper, all right? Uh, I'm not going to go on the Internet and say what a a moron and a loser you are, all right? I'm going to sit quietly. I'll take this abuse because I'm a Christian, and I know the Lord wants me to do this. This applies, obviously, both to these physical abuses, but really in our time, It will not be physical abuse. It will be about slander and gossip. That's really what we have to deal with today. Uh, And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he doesn't want to see a church be pulled down by slander and gossip and retaliation and vituperative statement after vituperative statement where at the end of the day, if somebody walked into the church, all they would see is effectively a barroom brawl. All right? Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. Now, the second example that Jesus cites uh, concerns a lawsuit in which a man is likely to lose a suit of clothes. Now, I know you're laughing as if you would say, well, who would ever file a lawsuit over a suit of clothes? Well, you remember, this is 2,000 years ago, and during that period of time, those kind of things would come up. It doesn't come up now. But the point of what he's saying there, and he's speaking between follower to follower, all right? Let's understand it. We must be prepared to abandon our rights in order to advance the gospel. 
Jesus would, be, would prefer we be wronged rather than lit- enter litigation with another follower of Christ. You've got that? Litigation with another follower of Christ. Don't interpret this passage as if to say Jesus is putting lawyers out of business. Okay? All right? That's not what this is about. This is about followers of Christ within themselves having a dispute. All right? And Jesus telling us that he doesn't want us involved in these kind of legal disputes as it relates to followers of Christ. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning with verse 4, as we get a fuller understanding of what God wants. Therefore, if you have dispute about such matters, and this is within the body of Christ, uh, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. How do you like that? Appoint as judges even people on the lowest rung of the church. That's what Jesus is saying here, that these people can fulfill that, that role. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of of unbelievers? That's the point of what Christ is saying here. You're dragging yourself down in the mud. You're looking to sue one another as followers of Christ. What kind of people are you that you do this? This is not how we are to act. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Can you imagine? Now, that's, that's the point of what Christ is saying here, all right, that he's relating it to fellow believers. We don't do this. We don't act this way. We restrain ourselves. And if a dispute arises between you and someone else in the church, get someone in the church to be a mediator. That's what you do. Get someone else to be a mediator. I've given this advice plenty of times to people. You don't go and sue somebody else in the church. What what kind of example is that to, to the unbeliever? We don't do that, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's emphasizing Christian character. Now, the third example refers to a Roman soldier commandeering a civilian. Now, remember this. The boot of Rome is all over Israel at this time. And so Jesus warns his disciple not to resist in such cases. Don't resist if the soldier takes you and makes you carry things for a mile. Jesus is saying, double the distance and expect and accept the imposition cheerfully. Now, Jesus, what, what is the point? If you read that verse and somebody compelling you to go a mile you go to, you'd be very confused unless you contextually put it back at the time that Jesus made this statement. Rome was all over the place. Roman soldiers typically commandeered citizens. And what Jesus is saying, don't become an obstacle to the government. Don't become a revolutionary. You have to learn to get along with the government. You have to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar. So if they ask you to carry something, you do it. You do it. Uh, And you do it in such a way that you would not only just go one mile, you would go two miles. Another example of what differentiates us from the world. The world wouldn't do it. And then the last example Jesus gives us deals with giving and lending to those in need with a cheerful heart. 
Now, again, step back contextually and let's put it in terms of understanding scripture. Jesus isn't saying that you give money away to professional beggars or you give to people who are truly not in need. Now, we have other texts that speak to these issues, which you want to take a look at. Take a look, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 15. Uh, and again, uh, this becomes important to understand it. And it says there, He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in a pledge is safe. Mm, that seems like we shouldn't, we shouldn't give. Then look at 17, Proverbs 17, verse Verse 18, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born of adversity. A man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Well, all right, there's another statement on that. And then look at Proverbs 22, verse 26. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up secure, security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Well, all right. So we have these verses, and now we have Jesus telling us that when you see someone who asks you for, for help, you give it to them. Somebody, you come across someone in need, you give it to them. Uh, and so what's the point? What is Jesus saying? He's telling us about the very spirit of God to inhabit our hearts, meaning that we get discernment when we see someone truly in need. When we see someone who's hurting in need, we have an obligation to help them. Did you hear that? We have an obligation to help them. And I'm going to give you a concrete example that a couple in our church spoke to me this week on this very issue. I won't name them. I don't want to embarrass them. But they told me that this week they were driving on Gulf Shore Drive near nighttime at dusk, and they saw an older woman carrying a cart, and it appeared as if she were homeless, uh, and they passed her. They got about a mile down the road, and the husband said, I was convicted by God. It was like the Holy Spirit said, go back. Go back. Go back. So he turned his car around and went back. Went up to the woman, got out of the car, and they talked to her, and she was clearly, clearly confused. Uh, she didn't know where she was. She had come off a bus. She was waiting for other family members, but she didn't know where they were, uh, and she, she didn't seem to have much in the way of means. So what did they do? They put her in their car. They put her in the car, and they drove her down to an area where she thought they would meet her, down on Bayfront, and they put her in a hotel, and they went inside, and they put her in a hotel and paid her bill and said to the hotel manager, let us know tomorrow if uh, her uh, relatives come. He said, and, and we want to make sure she gets breakfast as well. Uh, and the hotel manager said, well, it's not included, but I personally will see that she gets breakfast. Do you understand? Do you understand what God is saying of you? This is probably the most important part of this message. This is the spirit of God that inhabits our hearts. We are compelled. You're not the old natural man that you were. When you saw somebody like that, you'd turn your head, or you'd say they were losers, or they deserve to be where they are. No, you don't say that anymore. Now you ask God for guidance and discernment. Uh, and you see this, that God will do this. This is exactly how we are to live. 
That's the nature of this passage, all right? And so we put our, our rights away. We put our, our rights to our possessions, and we recognize that we are walking in the shoes of Jesus. This is how God wants us to live. This is how the gospel is going to be spread. Look, for the vast majority of you, you're not going to be missionaries. You're not going to Africa or India. You're going to stay right here, but God wants you to spread the gospel. And this is how you spread the gospel. Look how, how the Apostle John wrote on this very issue in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And he said, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has not pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Amen? You understand? That's what this is about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what this section of verses is about. The fact that Jesus is expecting the love of God to percolate within you and to permeate every essence that you have. And so you are compelled. You are compelled to reach out to others in need. You cannot avoid it. And so the burden of this passage is that Christ will not tolerate a tight-fisted, penny-pinching attitude in, in a Christian. He will not tolerate it. And if you find that that's the attitude you have, then you have to get on your knees and ask God to wash that out. All right? And so remember, he's speaking here to those who are poor in spirit, who are mourning their spiritual condition, who are merciful and humble and hunger for righteousness and thirst for righteousness. And all of this is embedded in the Beatitudes. And therefore, we cannot act any other way. We cannot act any other way. We have to engage in love, in love to the world. Don't worry about your rights. He'll take care of your rights. You have the greatest defender in the, in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. Are you worried about your rights? Well, let me tell you, he's got you covered. He's got you covered, all right? He's got you covered. And so what is your attitude toward what Christ is saying here? What is your attitude? Because that's what this passage is about. This is an attitudinal passage. Are you still dealing with the question of your rights? Or are you learning to live the kind of life that Jesus lived? Because that's what I want to be. I want to be the kind of man that Jesus was. I want to spread the gospel of Christ the way Christ did it. I want to love those who are hurting. I want to lift those who have suffered injustice. I want to raise up those who have been tampered down. I want to lift up the gospel of Christ and the cross of Christ so that anybody who sees me knows where I stand and knows who walks with me. Jesus walks with me. And that's the nature of what this is about. That's what Christ is teaching here. Since we are saved and we say we are saved, there should be a new sense of righteousness and holiness embedded within our lives. We do not begin with an ethical list of rights or wrongs. I want this, I don't want that, I want this, I don't want it. Throw it out. Throw it out. Jesus isn't interested in that. Rather, we begin with him. And the whole question for us is one of life. Nothing has gone, done greater damage, greater damage to our Christian testimony than in our, our trying to defend ourselves 
defend our rights and demanding others treat us the same way. We have taken the gospel of Christ and dragged it through the mud. I know many of us haven't thought about that before, but I'd ask you to think about that today. Uh, the whole question for us as Christians is one of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. My life is to be governed by the principle of the cross and the perfection of the Father. As Christians, we are called to the same kind of life and self-sacrifice as Jesus Christ. Folks, you have been saved. You will walk with God one day. You will speak with Jesus face to face by nothing that you deserve, but by the mercy of God. We need to remember that every day of our lives and let that percolate in our hearts and come out and seek to love others, not worrying about how we're treated, but rather how we advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in every possible way. Amen, church? Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you, Father, to seal this message. I thank you so much, Lord, for the words of Christ. I thank you for this inspiring message from the Sermon on the Mount and reminding us, Lord, as difficult as it is, that our rights are irrelevant, but rather we bow before your throne and we lift you up because our role here is to advance the cross of Jesus Christ, to let the world know that we are different. We're not like everybody else. For us, it's about self-sacrifice and lifting up those in need. We put all of this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.